Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Now, it should go without saying, but I played middle school football. (laughs) I know, I know. Uh, I was the B-team linebacker and quarterback. Let me say that again. I was the linebacker and quarterback. I have been what's called athletically challenged by many coaches. Our team was what our coach called awful. (laughs) We lost every single game for two straight years. We were 0-16. I have never won a football game in my life. Uh, We were so bad. I remember uh, the last game, my eighth grade year, I threw a touchdown in the final minutes of the game, not to brag, but I threw a touchdown in the final minutes of the game. And you would have thought like we won state because we were celebrating so much because we only lost by four points. That's how bad we were. Like all of the energy that our coaches kind of gave the teams didn't go to us as the B team, but rather the A team. They won every single game for two straight years. I remember every single day after the game, our school announcements would come on and they would just say things like, man, the, the A team destroyed their opponents, beating them 55 to zero. And the B team, and I was like, please don't say my name. Please don't say my name. Led by Derek Matthews, tried really hard and then they would just move on. They wouldn't even say the score because it was so embarrassing for our school. And so the reality of it was all of the amazing players got put on the A team and then all of you know, the rejects from the island of misfit toys <laughs> were put on the B team with me. And so for those two straight years, it was miserable being on that team. And it was one, yes, we were you know, not talented, um, but two, our coaches really never coached us. Uh, They never really invested in us. Uh, All of their time, energy, focus went to the A team. And so they were terrific while we were just kind of left to our own demise. And I say that to you because of this, as I've been reading through the gospel of John, you know, the gospel of John is broken into those three parts, the public ministry of Jesus in chapters one through 12, but then now we're in the private ministry of Jesus as he kind of grabs together his boys that he's been investing in and loving on and and training and preparing for the last several years, he's been showing them what it means to love people and to lead people and to step into situations and bring hope and healing to a hurt and broken world. And he's been showing them what that's like, like a good coach, but now he's pulling them in. In chapters 13 through 17, as I'm reading it over and over, just in my time with the Lord, I just can't help but to think this feels like Jesus is in the locker room before a big game. Because Jesus knows that though he's been preparing his disciples to, to walk with him, he knows that he's about to go, die for their sins, raise to life, and he's going to ascend and they're going to start playing the real game. And so, so far in this locker room in chapter 13, Jesus has been explaining to his boys, hey, there's a reality for you that I want you to love people well. I want you to lead people well. And the way that you lead people well is so counterintuitive. I want you to serve them the way that I have served you. 
But then as he keeps going, he says, I want you to love people. And the only way that you're going to do that is to abide in me. As Jeff talks about last week, that constant communion with Christ as in every moment of every day, I want you to walk deeply with me, not just a cute little quiet time in the morning, but every single moment of the day, I want you to linger with me as you're connected to me, like a vine to a branch. And as you do so, you're going to bear fruit in this life of joy and peace and kindness as you love other people. But guess what? When you start to do that, when you start to see transformation in you and that impacting how you live your life, guess what? There's a world out there that's in opposition to love. In fact, in John 15, 17, Jesus just said to his boys, hey, I want you to love one another in the very next verses and the world will hate you because of that. Because in our backwards world, Love looks like hate to those who really hate true love. And so right here, Jesus is in the locker room and he wants to make it very clear to his disciples as they walk this world, they're gonna face opposition because they're on team Jesus, that they will be persecuted. They will be looked down upon, that the world will hate them. In today's terms, they will be canceled. For them and for us, Persecution is a promise from Jesus. It's a promise from Jesus. And some of that is direct. Some of that persecution, that opposition is direct. And some of you have felt that. Maybe it's with a coworker or a boss or an old friend, or some of you are going off this, this week and, and in the coming weeks to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and, and you're going into a family situation that's awkward, that's going to be uncomfortable that's not as healthy as you would hope it to be, but there's some hostility in there because your family is a mission field. And there's gonna be a conversation that you kind of hope doesn't come up, but when it does, you're gonna feel uncomfortable in that moment. Some of you are gonna feel a direct persecution because of your connection with Jesus. But persecution isn't just direct. Persecution is also indirect. That as you walk in this world, as you interact in the culture of this day, what you see constantly is a world bent against the things of Christ. And so it comes in in advertisements, in shows, in the world around us, in laws, in customs, in cultural norms that are just bent against God. And so today we're gonna be looking at the last part of John 15 and 16 as Jesus is preparing his disciples and preparing us for the road ahead. Like this good coach who's been preparing them, but is now is pulling them into the locker room and giving them his final charge before he heads off. And as we look throughout this chapter, we're gonna see these three kind of major movements. One, Jesus is gonna paint a very clear picture about the reality of suffering that everyone who claims the name of Christ that walks into a culture bent away from Christ is going to experience, namely persecution. Then he's going to encourage them and love them by explaining the role of the spirit. But then he's gonna show them that ultimately, There's this reversal of sorrow that's coming for anyone who clings to Christ. And the hope of Jesus as he explains this to his disciples and the hope of Jesus as he speaks to us even today in this passage is simply this, that he doesn't want you to coward away when the culture is just crazy. (laughs) He wants you to have confidence and courage as you cling to him. That's his hope for us this morning. And that's what we're gonna see in John 15 and 16. And so first up, we're gonna see the reality of suffering. 
Bible study 101, always look for what's repeated because that's how they're emphasizing their points. And seven times in this chapter, Jesus is gonna say that the world will hate you because they hated him. Let's start reading verse 18. Remember, Jesus just told his disciples, I want you to love people. And then he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Great litmus test. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than this master. That's John 13. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Persecution is a promise from Jesus. Like, don't miss that. In the same way, Jesus says, I will be with you always. That is a promise. Persecution is also a promise from Jesus. Verse 23 says, whoever hates me hates the father also. Verse 24, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word, but the word that was written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Jesus is not pulling the punches here. He is painting a reality of persecution that we will all walk into because of our connection with Jesus. So far as you've read through the gospel of John, Jesus is the one kind of getting the bulk of that persecution. He's getting the bulk of the punches. Now he's looking at his disciples knowing he is about to go and receive the ultimate punch on the cross. And when he dies, he won't stay dead. He will raise to life, proving everything that he has said about who he is and what he has done. But when he ascends, he knows his disciples who look like him will start receiving the blows. So he's preparing them. But I want you to notice something that's missing in these verses. Jesus says seven times that they will hate you, but he never calls them the enemy. Just because the world hates you doesn't mean you get to return the favor. Jesus says continuously, you know what you do to those who are persecuting you? You post mean things online about them. No. You pray for them. You love them. Because that's exactly what Jesus did to you when you hated him. It says in Titus 2, 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent might be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. There is a difference between being persecuted and going out and picking a fight. We are called to love others and to invest in others and to move towards one another and share with them the best news that we've ever received. When we were so far away from God that we received the best news, which is the gospel that God loved us, even when we were running away from him and rebelling against him. And that's how we love people. And so Jesus here is not saying that they're our enemy. He is stating a reality that when you look like Jesus, the world will hate you because of it, period. And Paul picks up on this in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It sounds like a promise. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. Sound familiar? Deceiving and being deceived. And so here is the reality of suffering for all of us who claims the name of Christ. The more you look like Jesus, the more the world will hate you. 
That is the reality of suffering. And according to 2 Timothy 3, if you're not experiencing persecution, whether it's directly or indirectly, you are either not living a godly life or you're not living around ungodly individuals. You're either not living a godly life, meaning that you're just kind of being taken in the stream of whatever culture is blowing, and so you're not desiring to live a godly life, and therefore you're not being persecuted directly or indirectly by the culture around us. Or I think like many of us, myself included, it's simply because you're, you're in your little Christian huddle. You're not living around ungodly people where we are called to be salt and light to a hurt and broken and dark world. So it's interesting. The Roman world that where this was first written to, they had a rule. It was like their first amendment, which was the Pax Romana, which meant the peace of Rome. The Roman Empire had this vast landmass that they had to rule over. And so they had this one predominant thing that every single citizen was expected to follow, which was the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. And basically what that said was this, hey, you can believe whatever you want as long as you go along with the cultural norms of the day. So you can believe whatever you want. You can worship whatever you want or whoever you want or however many you want, but you need to go along with the cultural norms of the day, which means that you also need to worship and serve our gods. You also need to celebrate the gladiator games, the culture of death. And you know, all these cultic religions that are going off, there's a lot of sexual perversion in that. You need to celebrate that as well. And so you can believe whatever you want, but just yield to what the culture is doing and we'll let you go. That sound familiar? Hey, you can believe whatever you want as long as you just worship the little false idols of our culture today, as long as you just celebrate Pride Day, as long as you just don't say anything and ignore the genocide of the unborn, as long as you remain silent about what our kids are being taught in school, you can believe whatever you want, but just yield and we'll leave you alone. That sound familiar? I talked to Daniel Smith, our student director, and I just asked him a simple question. I go, hey, what's it like to be a student these days? I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't have social media whenever I was growing up in middle school and high school. The closest we got at the end of high school for me was something called American Online. America Online, they gave you that disc and you could put it in. You got a thousand free hours of internet access as, as long as you had a telephone cord and you were able to wait 25 minutes for it to boot up. I had a screen name, Derek Matthews Band. <laughs> Dave Matthews was real big in my high school. But I didn't have that. And so I don't know about you, but high school was already hard enough. There was already awkwardness. There was always uncomfortability. There was already insecurity I was feeling and, and pride I wanted to show off with. And our students today are being like overwhelmingly consumed by our culture in a moment by moment, day by day. And so I just go, okay, what's it like? What's it like to live and to grow up and have all that awkwardness like on full display? What's it like to try to stand for Christ? in the midst of a culture that will cancel you the moment you don't agree wholeheartedly with everything that's out there? What's it like to be told that your gender is fluid? What's it like to try to stand for Christ when everything around you is celebrating the things that Jesus came to die for? What's it like? 
He said that they're subject to gossip in person and online. He said they're viewed as hateful and bigots because they hold to a biblical worldview on sex and marriage and gender. And then this one was so hard for me to hear, but it's so helpful for us. He said they're alone. He said so many of them feel like outcasts. They've lost relationships. Many of them have to eat lunch by themselves. They are socially blacklisted. In short, directly or indirectly, they are being canceled because of their connection with Christ. I think our students are experiencing the predominant level of persecution of anyone in our body right now. And some are crumbling under that pressure. And we at City Bridge need to support them. So if you're a parent, we have to be people that are preparing our kids for persecution because it's promised to them. It's promised to them. I talk to some of my friends who I know are, are godly parents, and I just go, hey, how do, you, how do you raise kids that are more in that middle school, high school range? How do you raise kids to be those that are going to stand firm for Christ in a culture that's so condemning of anything that looks like Jesus? How do you be a safe place for them to open up and to share what's really going on in their schools or what they're being told or taught? And they said a couple of things. They said, hey, I, I try to model to my kids how to engage with non-Christians in a loving way to show them, hey, they're not, my, they're not our enemy. This isn't an us versus them. They teach a biblical worldview on topics that they know they're going to get exposed to. And I love this one. They play a game called Spot the Lie. Anytime a commercial or show is presented to them, they go and they just go, hey, spot the lie there. What are they trying to sell you on? What are they trying to convince you with that's not in line with God and his word? And then they said they, they, they try to debrief the day and what they learned from school and challenge their kids to go to God's word, not just give them the answer, but go to God's word to see what is true and what isn't. So parents, we have to be preparing our kids for persecution because they might be on the front lines of it. You want more of that? Sign up for our parenting conference in February. There'll be a lot more of that. For all of us, we have to come to grips with the reality and change our theology about persecution. It should be expected. Should be expected. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to give up? What are we willing to lose? What are we willing to be canceled over because of our connection with Christ? So many of our students have already answered that question and it's time for us to as well. So if you're a parent, prepare your kids for persecution. And for all of us, we have to come to grips with, with the reality that we're promised that we'll be canceled. So here's my beef with political commentaries right now. I listen to a lot of podcasts um, on the left, on the right, Christian, non-Christian and I just try to listen to what is the world kind of uh, communicating outward. And so many of them, even those that I respect, even those that claim the name of Christ, always end it here. They always end it with the hopelessness, with how crazy the world is, with how much opposition we're facing. And then they're like, oh, we're out of time. You know, I'm like, no, you're not. 
You chose to lean in there. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He wants to paint a reality for us that there is this reality of persecution that that, that is bent against, against us. But the reality of it is like the culture wants us as Christians to be afraid to be Christians. But then it's like Christians want us to be afraid of culture. Jesus doesn't stop there. He hits a reality. There will be persecution that you're going to feel. And when, if you only stop there, let's be honest, you're going to feel like little Bugs Bunny going against the Monstars for my 90s friends in here. But then he's going to say, but I'm giving you Michael Jordan. I'm giving you a ringer. I'm going to give you somebody that the world will tremble over. And so Jesus right here doesn't stop with persecution, but rather he moves to talking about the role of this helper, this advocate, this role of the spirit. And so from the reality of suffering, which is real, he's going to explain to us that God is sending a ringer into our team and it's the role of the spirit. And so I'm going to read just a lot of verses and I want you to see all the stuff that the spirit is going to do in us and through us. Let's read verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, a lot of theology there, he will bear witness about me. 16.7 says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come. But if I do go, I will send him to you. In Jesus' economy, what's better than having God with you? It's having God in you. To will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 8 and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they don't know or believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, I always read this verse that the Spirit's going to bring condemnation. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying it's going to bring conviction, and that word conviction is always used to bring people not to damnation, but to salvation. That the Spirit, just like Jesus, just like the Father, loves this world and wants to convict the world of their sin that's pulling them away from them, but then of righteousness, what it really looks like to walk rightly with the Father, and then ultimately judgment that the path that they're on will be judged, but He wants you to have life. Verse 12 says, I've said these things to you, but you can't bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare to you. Like, are you seeing this? Like, look at this. The Spirit's going to continue the work of Jesus. The Spirit's going to be with you. The Spirit's going to convict the world. The Spirit's going to guide you. The Spirit's going to glorify Jesus. Does that sound like a plan? Does that sound like Jesus is as all concerned or all worried about a culture that is dark and, and, and brutal? Why are we then? Why are we so afraid of the kitten of our culture and not recognizing that the lion of Christ is on our side? Luke 6 says it this way, blessed are you when people hate you. (laughs) 
when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil, you feel blessed when that happens? On account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day, leap for joy. You feel like leaping for joy? (laughs) That is only possible with the rest of the verse because he says, for behold, look at this, wake up. Your reward is great in heaven because they persecuted the prophets. They persecuted me. And guess what? If you look like me, they're going to persecute you. But your reward is great as you stand firm and stand strong. Left unchecked, City Bridge, I can be so either pulled back in fear, I don't want to engage the world, or I can feel like I just want to fight, like they're my enemy. And Jesus is calling us to walk in a deep abiding faith, not to fight, not to flee out of fear, but to walk in faith as we love the world. And that is only possible when the Spirit of God is working in me and working through me. And when that happens, I can have courage. I can be confident. I can have the comfort of Christ no matter how crazy the culture around me is. Because the lion's on my side. And Jesus has a plan. And it centers in on a person. So persecution is promised by Jesus, but he is at not, he's not worried. He has a plan that begins with the person of the spirit that's going to live in us, dwell in us, transform us as we abide with Christ. But then as we go out into the world, we get courage and we get confidence from him. This is the plan of Jesus, but it's only the beginning. The plan begins with the person of the spirit, but it ends with Jesus reversing all of our sorrow, all of our pain, all of the persecution. Verse 20 says it this way. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep. You will lament. The world will rejoice. Once again, promises. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus is acknowledging here real pain real persecution. You will weep. You will lament. The world will rejoice. Jesus is speaking right here contextually about his own death and resurrection. And yet he's also speaking to those moments in our life that it feels like the world's winning. It feels like God's plan is being thwarted. And in this moment, we can just come before Jesus and we can be reminded of his promises. Yes, we will weep. We will lament. The world will rejoice. There will be seasons of that. We will be sorrowful. It will be hard. It will be difficult. And yet he will reverse that sorrow. And so that promise of Jesus, I know for me, I can hear that promise of Jesus and me and my humanity just begins to kind of start asking some pretty basic questions about that. And as we bring those questions to Jesus, he's already answered them. Like I know when I'm going through pain or suffering or when it feels like the world's persecuting me, whether directly or indirectly, one of the first things I think about is like, okay, how long is this going to (laughs) go? How long is the crazy going to keep going? Jesus, seven times in this passage, says, hey, this pain, this persecution, this opposition that you're feeling, it's just a little while. Just a little while. Jesus is so 
brilliant about what it means to be human. Like he understands it so much as he became fully who we are. Because let's be honest, anytime there's hurt, anytime there's pain, anytime there's persecution, it feels ever present. It feels like it's never gonna go away. And yet Jesus will say in light of eternity, it's just gonna be a little while before I'm gonna reverse that sorrow and that sorrow is gonna turn into pure joy. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. He says this, he says, after you have suffered a little while, after you've suffered a little while, same word, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him. Be the glory forever and ever, amen. So how long is this gonna go? Whether it's a few months, a few years, or the rest of the light, your life in light of eternity. It's just a little while. It's just a little while. So then I begin to ask, okay, then how do I make it through this? How do I endure? And Jesus will tell us it's through a joyful, prayerful dependence upon him. He points back to what it means to abide, to rest, to remain. Verse 22 says it this way. You also have sorrow now, but I'm going to see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name, but ask and you will receive so that your joy might be full. Every time Jesus has used this phrase, he's actually used it a lot so far in this little locker room. He's used this phrase, hey, ask of anything and I'll give it to you. And people like to take that out of context and go, see, I just got to name something and then claim that thing. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. You got to look at the context of what he's communicating. And every single time it's in direct context of abiding, of resting, of remaining, of trusting in him, of living this life connected to the vine. And when we do that, when we delight ourselves in him, he then gives us the desires of our heart. Why? Because the desires of our heart are already in line with what he wants to give us. And so right here, he says, in the midst of hardships and persecution and cultural opposition, you need to be prayerful, dependent. And when that happens, you will see a life marked by joy. I want you to do these things, why? So that your joy may be full. You don't need a situation to get you there. You need a savior. So the last question I typically ask in all of this is, okay, then what do I do now? How am I supposed to live? If I'm a student, how am I supposed to walk throughout the, the halls and, and engage in teachers and friends that are antithetical to the things of God? If I'm walking out through this locker room, how do I play the game? What's my, what should my perspective be? And Jesus says in his final words that he wants you to have comfort, not be comfortable, have comfort, live in confidence with a great amount of courage. One of my favorite verses is verse 33, where Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. 
but take heart because I've overcome this world. 16 times in this passage, Jesus says the phrase, I said to you, I'm saying these things to you. I'm, I'm saying these things to you. I said these things to you that 16 times, almost as if he wants us to listen to him because he wants to give us peace. He wants to give us joy. And so Jesus wants to give you comfort. He says, I want to give you peace in this world. But then Jesus also wants you to give you this courage. He says, take heart, have courage. Why? Because I've overcome. And so when you walk in the reality, deeply linked to the person of Christ, he gives you this comfort. He gives you this peace. But then when you walk in the reality that he's not just with you, but he has overcome this world, he gives you courage. And when those two, two things combine, a comfort of Christ and a courage in Christ, it gives you a confidence to live a life for Christ. Why? Because he's already reversed sorrow. He's already overcome. Death has already been defeated. And he is on our side, or more rightfully said, we are on his side. There is so much nonsense being spoken today about making sure you're on the right side of history. As if it's like a sledgehammer argument. Once it says, it's like, oh, I, I want to be on their side. You know, like, Christian. History's already been written. Eternity is already waiting for us. So not only are you on the right side of history, you're on the right team for eternity. And if you are in Christ, it should be your growing desire that every single person you meet would join Team Jesus. They're not your enemy. They're being held captive by the enemy. So we pray for those that persecute us. Because that's what Jesus did when we were on the other team. Last story. There's this unbelievably dark scene in the Chronicles of Narnia when Aslan is being killed. Maybe you read the book, maybe you remember the movie, but it's, it's meant to be this overwhelming darkness that's surrounding him as he gives up his life for the traitor Edmund. And everyone is celebrating the death of the great cat. And the dark witch holds up a knife and slaughters him and they celebrate. And in that crowd, off in the distance, you see Lucy and Susan, these two individuals that have been following Aslan, the great picture of Jesus. And they begin to weep. And it's meant to make you feel this deep sorrow. And so all night, as everyone else leaves, they move in and they just begin to weep as death appears to have won. But then the next morning, as the sun is rising, Susan and Lucy begin to leave. And then they hear a crack and a sound of thunder. And they look up and through the sunrise, they see Aslan, more beautiful and majestic than they've ever seen. And he looks at them and he knows that they're both joyful but also confused about what just happened. So Aslan reads the inscription 
on the stone table and he says this, when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start to work backwards. Sorrow would be reversed. And if you remember the very first thing that they do is play. They play with Aslan. Sorrow is turned into joy in their heart. But then Aslan looks at them and says, there's people held captive and we're gonna go and set them free. And so he calls them into the battle because their joy is now full because their king has just won and has conquered death itself. And however much beauty there is in that picture, it's just a shadow of Jesus. Jesus paints a picture of the reality of suffering and he's made a promise to us that persecution will be a part of the Christian life. But he's not worried, he's not concerned, he's confident, he's courageous as he goes off to his own cross, as he calls us to take up ours and follow him because he knows that the spirit of God is gonna work in us and is gonna work through us and that every hardship, every struggle, every pain, every persecution, every opposition will be reversed and sorrow will be turned into joy. So he tells us in the book of Hebrews that we are to run our race, that we are to lay aside any sin or struggle or fear that would so easily entangle us and run the race before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. The coach has given us a play. Let's go run it. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.